0: Well, hey, y'all, it's Sloan Spencer, and you found us here at our new podcast called Bubble Bottles, where we talk with music people about their favorite carbonated beverages. Thanks so much to everyone who has joined us in our launch. It's only been a couple of weeks, and y'all are digging what we're doing. We also have a partner podcast called One Hit History, where we talk with music people about their favorite one hit wonders. We're going to give you a double shot episode today, starting with our Bubble Bottles conversation with Jesse James DeCanto of Pinkerton Raid. And at the end, we'll add on our conversation about his favorite one-hit wonder. Stick around. One of my favorite things to talk about backstage with musicians and music people is about their favorite beverages. Often when folks travel, they're looking for something new and different. And those regional brands and regional beverages can be quite special or memorable, not always in a good way. So we're talking today with Jesse James DeCanto of Pinkerton Raid, someone who I first saw at my favorite music festival, Albino Skunk Music Festival in Greer, South Carolina. They can be found at PinkertonRaid.com. They've got a new single called Magical Flying Row Entry with an amazing animated video as well. Jesse James DeCanto, welcome.
1: Thanks, Sloane. Yeah, it's really good to talk with you.
0: My pleasure. So we were talking a little bit about favorite beverages. So, I'll just hit you with the big question. What's your favorite carbonated beverage?
1: There's a, a small soda company. I'm going to use the word soda, which is going to tell you already that I'm from the Northeast. Uh, <laughs> You're not has, from Atlanta. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a small uh, soda company called Swampscut in New okay. Hampshire. And I love their birch beer, uh, which is, you know, kind of a take on root beer and cream soda somewhere in between. I love I, I should say I loved it really in the past tense because it's been a long time since I actually had it. But it's just, so when I think about it, it's so full of nostalgia from my childhood growing up in New Hampshire. Now I'm down in Durham, North Carolina. But that was the first thing. It's funny, you know, I like, I don't even really think about beer being carbonated when you ask what's your favorite carbonated beverage. It's like, okay, it's got to be some kind of soda. And, you know, immediately got you know, I knew it was local, which just even back then to me made it cooler than Coke or Pepsi or whatever was coming in plastic bottles. It came in these glass bottles, which, you know, felt like antiques to me. It has a lot to do with where I would find it because it represented some level of growing independence for me mm-hmm. as like a preteen, maybe 10, 11, 12, 13. When, like, I remember this little convenience store called Lindy's, a kind of general store that had been in my little town in Brentwood, New Hampshire for decades. You know, I could walk to it from where I would play Little League they, and they had Swampscott, and they, you know, I could also like buy baseball cards there or buy <laughs> pub, something sweet. it just represented this time when I, like maybe I had a little bit of birthday money or maybe my parents gave me a little money, maybe I babysat or something like that. It was something I could buy for myself in some settings and I wasn't dependent on anyone and I was just like with my friends and just walking around. And I think that combined with the uniqueness of coming in a glass bottle and being made in New Hampshire, all of that sort of made it seem really cool to me.
0: What a great story behind the beverage and what it means to you, just sort of the, the memories associated with that.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I had just had to pick a flavor for you because you asked, you know, they probably made like 50 different flavors and, you know, I'd try them all. I just loved that flavor of root beer. And, you know, that was their kind of special take on it. And, and, and that was another thing about a birch beer. It was so it was so specific. I always loved birch trees, the way they look. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I, I just associated it with that. And so that's the one I I sort of lean toward.
0: The localization of it, of course, is always important to a story. My personal like flavor preference has always been weird ginger ale and weird root beers, regional, local, whatever. And so I mean, I've been obsessed with this since I was like in early high school. So I've been researching this forever. And birch beer is an interesting one because it's primarily like Pennsylvania, north to New Hampshire. It follows that northern Appalachian region, you know, all the way up, essentially. And it's truly made from distilling from birch trees. And because birch trees have different species, and I'm not a science person, different versions of trees, like darker and lighter birches, you get different brews from the distilling of it and gives very different flavor profiles. And so this is still very much a hyper-local decision where there are different places that have dark birch beer or lighter birch beer, and this is still a thing that's made. So cool.
1: Yeah. Very interesting. There are different local companies that make this.
0: And they're very different from one another because the trees themselves are different based on where you are. It's awesome. They can still make it this way. So because there are not enormous amounts of birch trees available for distilling for birch beer, it's still very localized. It's not something that's been commodified on a national level. And that alone is interesting to me. But one of the things I learned researching this program that was shocking to me is that root beer is no longer made from sarsaparilla and or sassafras because they learned that both of those are toxic. This has happened in my lifetime. So we used to make root beer from real sassafras or from sarsaparilla, and we would make tea from it. That, and now they know it causes liver toxicity, and that's so. All root beer that you get now is a safe chemical invention flavor, oh, which is man. stunning to me.
1: It doesn't surprise me that the big companies, you know, putting it in two-liter bottles at the grocery store mm-hmm. are doing that. But I'm pretty sure Swamp's got made a sarsaparilla. Yeah. Um, you know, flavor, which just sounded way cooler to me than, you right. know, like A and W or something.
0: Oh, I totally um, bought it because of the name, yeah. you know. Right, right. That's yeah. how I got into all of this. Right. <laughs> yeah. And Swampscott's a great example of that. The, the spelling for someone, I'm from Georgia originally, you know, I look at the word and I'm like, how do you even say that word? It's like S-Q-A-M.
1: Yeah. S-C-O-T, right.
0: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I looked up a recipe of how to make birch beer. Not that I'm ever going to do that, but I was just curious what else went into it, if anything, because I really am not super familiar with birch beer. I've heard of it, but I don't believe I've ever had it. And goes back like all the way back to the 1600s, there are documented recipes of it in the northeast of the United States. Um, I guess we weren't in the United States yet at that point. But documented recipes, of course, it was fermented at the time and they produced an alcoholic version of it. And frankly, I'm surprised that hasn't taken off again.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. People are making alcoholic root beers.
0: They are, and I'm really disappointed about it because now I have to really read the labels carefully to know what I'm getting. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. That's right.
0: I love how local this is for you and just that the time of life and you know that instant memory thing, sort of like scent can bring you back to a very specific time and place in your life. Certain products can as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. There was just so much joy, I think, in Going to these little corner stores, especially where I could buy baseball cards. Right. A lot of times, you know, that the would I'd get with the baseball cards.
0: Absolutely. Well, Jesse James DeCanto of Pinkerton Raid, we're looking forward to your new single, Magical Flying Row Intrigue." Find out more about the band at PinkertonRaid.com. Thanks so much for joining us on Bubble Bottles and talking about this Swampscot Birch Beer. Y'all, if you're living up in the New Hampshire area, you should definitely check that out. Thanks so much for listening and leaving those hilarious reviews and five-star ratings in your favorite podcast app. Believe it or not, it makes a huge difference. If you love what you hear, share the episode with a friend. And y'all come back now, you hear? One Hit History is a comedy podcast. We've done slightly less research than your average Wikipedia contributor. We're loose with the facts and your mileage may vary. Hey, y'all. It's Sloane Spencer. You found us at our new podcast, One Hit History. It's where we're talking with music people about their favorite one hit wonders. And we have been all over the place in what favorite means, but also in what one hit wonder means. A lot of these folks have very interesting careers in other areas or other parts of music. Sometimes it's like, wow, how did you have such a big hit? And then I've never heard from you again. Today, we've got someone fun that I first saw at my absolute favorite music festival on the planet, Albino Skunk Music Festival in Greer, South Carolina. It happens twice a year, and I absolutely adore it. Part of a group called the Pinkerton Raid. It's Jesse James DeCanto. You can find them at PinkertonRaid.com. They've got a new single on the way. I'm going to have them tell you a little bit about it. Hello.
1: Hey, Sloan. Thanks for having me. The Magical Flying Roan Tree is our single, but I've been just playing around with fantasy or very non-literal storytelling and Mm -hmm. song, you know, settings in a different universe. It's a very personal song. A lot of my recent songs are very much grounded in family experiences, but a lot of times I just use that as a jumping off place and then go somewhere very distant. It's kind of a superhero story, but it's set in the age of when people believed in magic and witchcraft wasn't witchcraft, it was like medicine, just being human and being alive. And so or there's a legend or myth about this tree, the Rowan tree. It only grows in very cold climate. So like here in the south, to find a comparable plant, and we call it down here a mountain ash, but mm-hmm. to find it, you know, you have to go up to the very highest peaks in Appalachia. But it grows all over Canada, but a lot of these myths come from Scandinavia, the British Isles. And the idea with this Rowan tree is that it creates a window into the magic world, the fairy world. It's supposed to be protective. So people would plant them outside their cottages to sort of ward off evil spirits. And then there's an extra powerful type of Rowan tree that when it grows on the side of a cliff or it grows literally in the crook of a branch of another tree, then it's even that more powerful So the song imagines a child as the embodiment of this magical power of the rowan tree. The video is an animation of that idea of of a child protecting his family with his magical joy. The animator is a woman named Eleni Chandriotu. She's Greek. She and I sort of bonded over the animation in the Book of Kells feature-length movie. And when I was telling her about the kind of nature spirituality behind the song, she said, oh, you know, I've always wanted to do an animation in that style. And so that was sort of a jumping off point.
0: Wow, that's very exciting. All right, so y'all definitely can find out more about the band at PinkertonRaid.com. So you'll be definitely in the know about Magical Flying Row Entry. You don't want to miss out on all of that for sure. So this podcast talks with music people about their favorite one-hit wonders. And most of the time, the styles of music are very different than the style of music the person works in. That's not always true, but that's most of the time true. So we've talked a little bit offline about this particular song. Hit us with it. What's your favorite one hit wonder?
1: Somebody that I used to know by um, Gautier. It really blew me away when it first came out. You know, I was in the middle of making my first record around that Uh too. So I was just fascinated by the production of it. Because it just felt like this very groovy pop song. But the instrumentation is just so interesting and unexpected. I feel like it's sort of set the stage for the move toward electronic music that followed. That's almost become cliche at this point. The way that, that Goche and his team interwove acoustic instruments with samples and synthesizers, it sounds very, very organic to my ear, but yeah. a lot of it's not. And, and that's, I think, what I love about it.
0: The song was released 2011, 2012. So, you know, the release and then when people actually get their hands on it, the album was called Making Mirrors. And so the thing that I'm particularly interested in because I've worked in radio for so many years is often folks release like a radio version and an album version of songs that's been common for decades. But in this particular case, it's not just the length that is different. The production of the radio version that people know and the album version that people know are significantly different. It's still completely recognizable, but those layers are like a whole different song.
1: Oh, wow. You're, you're educating me here. I didn't even know that.
0: Know it's really region. interesting. And they're maybe 30 seconds different in length. And then there's also the vocal play with Kimbra as well.
1: I didn't talk about that, but I love the vocal production on that song. That's more than anything what gives it this really big pop sound. You know, It's gorgeous.
0: The very first time I heard this song, I was fascinated with how they produced it. He mostly did all the work himself. Interesting guy to talk about briefly. He was born in Belgium to a Belgian family who then moved to Australia when he was two. And he's known by a variety of names. So his given name was a Belgian version of Walter. So Walter DeBacker. And then when they moved to Australia, his parents anglicized it to actual Walter. And then he was mm. called Wally as a kid. But the Gaudier or Gaucher, depending on who you talk to, he's used both publicly as well, is where the French origin of the Belgian version of his name comes from. Like, super confusing.
1: Wow. So it's related to Walter in some way.
0: <laughs> Similar to Mary Gaucher's last name, except that it's G-A-U-L-T-H-I-E-R. And hers does not have the L. So it's part of that same origin, but through the various different languages, the pronunciation changes. And I love the fact that he has both official pronunciations out there.
1: <laughs> right,
0: right. These are the kind of things that radio people obsess about because we try to get it right, and then it's like, okay, there's not a right, there's both.
1: And then you'll have someone call you out on it and you (laughs) go down that rabbit trail.
0: Every time. So how did you first stumble upon this song?
1: I must have just heard it come on commercial radio. I can't really remember, but it seems like it was everywhere back then. I mean, that xylophone melody just... At the very beginning. ...really grabbed me, yeah.
0: So Godier slash Gaucher, somebody that I used to know... You have to have the vocal version with Kimbra in there because that contrast is just essential to it. But the song was a huge international hit, like 11 international awards, three Grammys here in the U.S., just a massive, massive song worldwide, which is not always the case with wildly popular tunes, especially one hit wonders. They often have a geographic region where they're wildly popular, but rarely internationally like this.
1: I was just looking it up because I was curious, and it's almost hit a billion streams on Spotify.
0: Unbelievable. Lyrically, it's an interesting song to me as well, mainly because it reminds me of a 1980s one-hit wonder song. Lyrically, and okay, so if you are a fellow Gen Xer, you're going to know exactly what I mean. Everyone else is going to be rolling their eyes so hard they hit the back of their head. (laughs) Lyrically, it's sending the same message as Don't You Want Me, Baby.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But I the see. presentation is so much more glamorous.
1: Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's like much more indirect, which I yes. suppose is a function of being 30 years younger. You know?
0: Human <laughs> interactions and how folks then deal with seeing one another when they are no longer in a relationship is the essence of the song. And pretty straightforward when you read the lyrics, but when you're listening, you can get wrapped up in the sound and not even catch that that's what's going on so much.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. I came to this song just fascinated by the music and, you know, somebody that I used to know just as a conceit is just so understated. You can sort of fill a lot of gaps if you want to in your mind. I, you're right that the lyrics, you know, if you read them all, but then it becomes pretty clear, but it's dense enough lyrically that, and because the music's so interesting, you don't necessarily pick that up on listen.
0: You really don't. I probably heard it 20 or 30 times before I really paid attention to what he was saying other than the hook. And it was like, oh, wait a minute here. And really, when I first paid attention to it was when Kimber's vocal comes in. I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that's what this song was about. Wait a minute here. We ought to mention Kimber quickly. Kimberly Johnson is mostly kind of an avant garde jazz vocalist based down in New Zealand, um, well known in the Australian music scene. Not so much here in the States, however, um, but has a vibrant career there. You can find Kimber's music at kimbramusic.com easily there. Godier or Gaucher is available at G O T Y E.com. G G-O-T-Y-E. o t YE.com. I told you it's a weird one. It's all good. I got a weird name. We live with these things. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jesse James DeCanto of Pinkerton Raid, thank you so much for sharing with us about this one hit wonder that you enjoy. Oh,
1: yeah. Thanks.
0: Stick good around, time. y'all. You can find out more about other folks we've talked with in their fantastic one hit wonder songs at onehithistory.com. You can support us at patreon.com slash one hit history. Thanks so much for listening. Take it easy. Thanks to Jacob Furr for our theme music. You can find his catalog at jacobfurr.bandcamp.com. That's J-A-C-O-B-F-U-R-R.bandcamp.com. Thanks so much for our graphic design and logo from Keith Brogdon. You can find his work at thinkingoutlouddesign.com.